Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. Well, good morning, everyone. In my two months here, it's been really beautiful to see and hear from so many of you how safe you're feeling. Coming back, we're hearing more and more positive things, and I'm really grateful. All right, well, we have another parable. All right, as a preacher, we seem to be in parable themes. All right, and so I think this is the third or fourth week of a parable. Parables are meant to do two things. They are meant to reveal something about God, and they're also meant to reveal something about us that needs to be transformed if we're going to experience the life-giving, abundant, joyful life God wants for us. So two things happen at once. But I want to suggest that this week's parable is different than the other ones because there's a wedding feast involved. One thing you're going to get to know about me over the years and years we're going to be together, right, is that when marriage is talked about in the Gospels, I'm going to be talking about it. And yes, I have a particular fondness and dedication to the vocation of marriage, I work with Retrovi, which is a healing ministry for marriage, and I've gone all around the diocese teaching Pope St. John Paul II's vision of marriage. But I also am passionate about it because it is the main lens that all of the Bible gives us to understand God's plans. If you want to understand God's plans, don't look at religious sisters and brothers. Don't look at priests, bishops, cardinals, and popes. We need to look at marriage. And so, as I'm fond of doing, we're going to zoom out and then zoom back in to understand what's going on in the parable. The Bible, the book of Genesis and the book of Revelations, first book of the Bible and last book of the Bible, both have marriage. The very first book of the Bible, chapter 1, book of Genesis. We're not going to go through the whole Bible in case you're worried. All right. Genesis chapter 1. God wants to reveal what he's like in the world. He wants to create a creature that is in his image, meaning makes God visible. He creates Adam and Eve, says, be fruitful and multiply. Or in chapter 2, he says, cling to each other, become one flesh. So in the very beginning, married love, husband and wife, Romance, all of this before there was sin and pain, all of this was disclosing, make visible, manifesting God. This was the image of God in the beginning. Then throughout the scriptures, primarily in the prophets of Israel in the Old Testament, over and over again, mankind has contracted the sin of original sin and we become doubtful and rebellious. Israel, over and over again, is leaving the ways of God. And when God tries to woo them back, bring them back, he uses several images. But the one he uses more than any other is the image of marriage. Over and over again, he tells Israel, like an unfaithful bride, you have given yourself over to idols, but I will bring you back to myself. I will speak tenderly to you. You will be my bride, and I will be your bridegroom. Then, if that wasn't enough, right, in the Gospels, John the Baptist, the last of the prophets, the one who actually gets to point to God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, 
Right? They come up to him and they say, are you the one who's supposed to come? We've heard through the prophets that God is going to send someone who's going to fix all of our problems. Like the rebellious heart, our problems with God and one another. Are you him? And John the Baptist uses this phrase. I'm the best man. The bridegroom is coming. See, the prophets knew the story. They knew that marriage, spousal imagery, was the way to understand what's going on. Jesus shows up. He's the bridegroom, the divine bridegroom. He performs his first miracle, Gospel of John chapter 2, at the wedding feast of Cana, manifesting his divinity in the setting of married love. Jesus then dies on the cross, right, saying, this is my body, given up for you. So how are we supposed to understand that? Well, in your Bible and in mine, chances are one of the last of the seven words, he says, it is finished. But actually in Latin, which we get it from, the phrase is, it is consummated. That's what Jesus is saying. So he's giving his body up for his bride so that the two can become one. And the fruit of Jesus' union with his bride, the church, is a few days later the new life of the resurrection. Then we get to the book of Revelation. This is heaven being unveiled. We get to see God's plans. And there's not gall for cookies, although those I don't deny that those have something to do with heaven. Okay, But that's not what's in there. In the book of Revelations, we see two passages. The first one, It says, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb of God? Jesus. And then it says, the church coming forth like a bride adorned with gems. First book of the Bible, the marriage of Adam and Eve. The very last book of the Bible, the marriage of Christ and his church. Who is in the church? Who's invited to be in the church? Every member of the human race that ever has existed is invited. Those who say yes enter into his bride and they become one with Jesus. They receive and conceive eternal life and they bring the beauty of God into the world. Those who do it most perfectly, the saints. The rest of us are trying our hardest. Spousal imagery. Marriage is God's plan. So if you want to sum up the Bible in five words, God wants to marry us. Now, if that's the story that God's been telling throughout all the story of all of salvation history, and we're a part of that history, when we hear the gospel passage and it says, Jesus says, "Um, let's just say there's a king and he has a son and he wants to throw him a wedding feast. Oh, See, when you know the story, you realize this analogy isn't arbitrary. Jesus is really trying to let us know something. So these people are invited. They said no. They said no. They said no. Finally, these random people on the street are invited. And then there's one without a wedding garment. What's going on here? Well, in the first century, if you were going to enter a wedding feast at the doors of the palace were people with garments for you to wear in case you didn't have the appropriate attire on. Which means this gentleman thought he was fine. I don't need the garment. I'm fine the way I am. And that's why the king is so enraged. The king says, 
you must be blind. You don't see the glory that you are participating in because you think you're fine. So let's bring it practical. Every human experience that is good and beautiful is like a little bite of a shrimp cocktail compared to the banquet God wants to give us. So authentic, beautiful, married love. A little, 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 little glimpse of the infinite love, infinite joy, infinite ecstasy, infinite beauty, infinite glory that God has planned for us in our marriage with Christ, in our union with Jesus. When that's the calling, when that's the offering, the only proper response that is in truth is, Lord, have mercy. Not because we're so bad, but because that is so amazing. And here's the amazing thing. It's offered to us every Sunday and every time Mass is celebrated. God descends onto the altar, says, this is my body given up for you. When you come up for communion, your amen is, yes, I will live for you as you live for me. Infinite love is calling you by name for the most exciting, adventurous, wild, satisfying, and demanding marriage there's ever been. You and I are invited to be married to God, the creator of the universe. It's hard, it's beautiful, and it's that true. So let's get practical. How do we put the wedding garment on so we don't get kicked out like that guy? You know, what do we need to do? All right. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is a big old fat book. It's like an encyclopedia, not a novel. Other than that, it's meant to be a resource book, right? If you have questions, you look it up. It's not a novel. But if you have questions about the faith, the answers in there are glorious. It says of baptism, baptism and all the sacraments have a spousal dimension. That in baptism, we have a nuptial bath. How many of us think of that when we have little ones in a white garment being baptized? How do you become a member of the church? You are initiated through baptism. That's where it begins. And this nuptial bath is ordered towards union. Where does the union begin? First communion, and then every communion we make after that. Now, Jesus knew that you and I weren't so wild about him right after our baptism and that every day we kind of need to be won over. So how do we make sure that garment stays on if it was put on in baptism? Confession. Confession is where Jesus sits us down and says, we need a little marriage counseling. Something's off here. And he guides our hearts and our minds by us saying, I'm not the king of the universe I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. And he prepares us then for union with the Eucharist again. So how do we keep that on? Faithfulness to the sacraments. If it's been a long time since you've been to confession, can I assure you two things? One, I have never yelled at anyone in a confessional. No one's left my confessional feeling rejected, mocked, scorned, belittled. In fact, I've talked to Father John. I know Father Dave a little bit now. Like, We don't own a hammer. We're not interested in hurting you. I see men and women who come to the confessional as marked by God and loved by him so much that they have the courage to come forward. So that's a great way to keep the wedding garment on, to keep saying, all right, I need his mercy. I need to be clothed with Jesus. And then here's the second one. 
I'm going to put a time on this because if we don't, we don't have a goal. And oftentimes we need a goal. If you aren't doing seven silent minutes a day in prayer with God, that means no cell phone, no TV, alone, not, not even driving. Seven minutes alone with God, praying the scriptures, maybe just one decade of the rosary, journaling, contemplating nature. Right? That relationship is going to fade quickly on you. Right? Ideally, you'd get up to about 20 to 30 minutes. But seven minutes a day, let's start there. When I give spiritual direction, I sometimes ask people, I said, if you and Jesus were married, would you need counseling? If you gave your spouse a silent treatment, like almost every day of the week, or only gave him or her distracted attention, or left over while you're laying in bed about to go to sleep, that was the only time you had quality time together, that marriage is not going to be in a good place very quickly. If marriage is the analogy, it's also true with God. And so I'm going to take a little bit of silence. I'm just going to invite you to contemplate God's cosmic plan for all of creation. He wants to unite himself to you through Jesus so that you can join now in a little taste of the infinite ecstasy he has planned for you for all of eternity in the wedding feast known as the communion of saints. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.